Hello and happy Saturday, or whenever it is, to all of you listeners and lovers of cartoons. Welcome to Kelby's Cartoon Corner, the show where we discuss all the best cartoons, from 90s Nicktoons to current adult animation. And by we, I mean me, Kelby, alone in my bedroom, not in the living room anymore, so I don't have to kick my roommate out of the house every time that I record. So if it is Saturday when you're listening, I hope you have some comfy pants and maybe a snack or four. I mean, regardless of what day it is, I hope you have comfy pants and snacks, but you know, especially if it's Saturday. But no matter what day it is, get comfy, grab a snack, and let's talk about cartoons. We are on the final episode of season two of the podcast, which means that it's time for my disclaimer that this show is not family friendly. Uh, This week we're covering Big Mouth. It is a show that is about kids, but it is not for kids. It is an adult animation. Uh, It's very, I feel like if you're not in the animation world, that's really confusing because you see a show that's animated and it is about children and you just assume that it's for kids. It is absolutely not for kids. There is a lot of sexual content. They they very frequently swear. It's very fun. This is 100% my wheelhouse of comedy and the things that I enjoy, but this is not a show for kids. It's not a family-friendly show. I'm just, I'm letting y'all know that ahead of time. Like I said, this is an adult animation. It's about kids, but it's not for kids. Uh, Personally, I would be okay with my eighth grader or like high school age kid watching this with me because I think it would make for an easy way for them to ask questions about their body. It's kind of a weird show. Like I said, there's a lot of sexual content. They absolutely swear, but it's also really funny. So just a warning up front, this episode of the podcast is going to be family friendly, but the show that I'm covering is not. So listen at your own risk. All right, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Are y'all ready? I don't know if I'm ready for this. uh, Normally my scripts are anywhere between like 15 to 20 pages long. And this script is like 10. And that is really pushing it. Because I couldn't... I don't want to give you a full overview of the show because so much stuff happens. I'm really like just bad at doing an overview anyway because I feel like I put... It doesn't count as an overview because there's too much detail that I put into it, but especially with this, there's just so much that happens. First of all, the main cast of characters is at least like seven or eight kids that the show that the story revolves around. So just being able if I had just been able to focus on one kid, that would have been fine, but I didn't think about that until now when I hit record, so mm, we're not doing that. But uh, this episode is going to be, it's probably going to be pretty short because I couldn't figure, I couldn't get an angle on this show. I have spent the last two days just like sitting in front of my computer and sitting in front of the TV watching the show. And then I would look back down at my computer and be like, okay, let's write about that. And then, mm, no, I just ended up watching three more episodes of the show. The show is very bingeable. I will say that. But as far as writing about what the show was about, I had no idea what I was doing. So... We'll see how this episode of the podcast goes. At this point, if you haven't heard about Big Mouth, I'm assuming that you live under a rock. The last adult animation that I covered, Final Space, is something that I don't expect a lot of people to know about unless you follow the creator or animation in general. Big Mouth, however, is everywhere. It's a huge hit on Netflix. It's been nominated for four Emmys over the last two years, being nominated twice for Outstanding Animated Program. And side note, uh, Maya Rudolph, the voice of Connie the Hormone Monstrous, just won her first Emmy for this show. So that's lit. 
uh, and it stirred up a lot of controversy when it first launched in 2017 for what I said in the intro because it's about children and I think a lot of people saw that it was about kids and then watched the first couple of the first couple of episodes and were like this is absolutely not for children well no it's not for children it's an adult animation about kids that are in seventh grade that are like going through puberty. It's very fun. It's a fun show. It's a cool concept. I don't think anything like this has ever been done before. So it's very exciting. That being said, I know the comedy style isn't for everybody, but I can't imagine anyone who hasn't at least scrolled past this on Netflix. This show is definitely one of my favorite adult animation projects right now. I love adult animation in general. Um, I'm a big fan of Family Guy, although I don't necessarily follow it like religiously. Family Guy is the thing that I put on in the background to like have noise so I don't have to pay attention, but I know what's going on. Uh, love Bob's Burgers, love American Dad, obviously I love Final Space because I've already covered it, uh, Close Enough, Disenchantment, I love all of it, but Big Mouth is unique in the fact that the main focus of the show is a group of kids. I haven't been in 7th grade for over a decade, but the experiences of these kids aren't so different from my experiences navigating the ups and downs of puberty. Uh, minus the hormone monsters, who are arguably the best parts of the show. They really make it unique and fun. A lot of adult animation brings in elements of fantasy that kind of remove us from relating to the characters of the show, and that's fine. A lot of shows work like that. Family Guy would be a totally different show without Stewie and Brian, and a lot of the comedy of American Dad would fall flat without Klaus and Roger. But there's something really real about Big Mouth, and I think the key element of that is that it focuses on kids rather than adults. There are adults in the storylines, and we get to know a lot of them too, but the main focus of the show is this core group of kids. So, before I get way too far into this, let me give you an overview of Big Mouth in case you somehow don't know. Uh, Big Mouth focuses mostly on two best friends, Nick and Andrew, voiced by Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, respectively. Uh, Nick Kroll actually voices a lot of the characters, and I didn't realize I saw, uh, I saw an interview that he did with... Oh... It was one of the late night talk show hosts, whatever. He And he did a bunch of the voices. And I didn't realize that he did... He does the voice of the Ladybug, which I did not realize. But when I saw him doing the voice for Ladybug, I lost it. It's so funny. The Ladybug is a really unique character. The Ladybug is just like a thing that was in the background of one episode of season one. And it was funny. And then it, it continues to be part of the show into season three. So that's really fun. I really appreciate Ladybug. Oh, also, I said I was going to give you an overview of the show, but, like, that doesn't really happen. I mostly just give you... I introduce you to the characters so that you know what you're getting into. <laughs> Nick... Nick Kroll's character, his name is Nick Birch. He's a shrimpy 12-year-old who hasn't quite hit puberty. He's the youngest of three kids. His older sister Leah is in high school, and his older brother Judd is 19, according to the Big Mouth wiki page, so that's what I'm going with, because it never really says in the show how old he is. Uh, but we never really see him, like, at school or anything, so I guess that makes sense that he's 19, because he wouldn't be in school. Andrew is also 12, but contrary to his friend Nick, puberty has hit him hard. His voice is changing, he's getting taller, he has facial hair, all the things. Everything's happening to Andrew. Andrew is also constantly accompanied by his hormone monster, Maurice, aka Maury, who I guess is like his conscience? I don't really know. There's no canonical explanation for what the hormone monsters are, but they add to the show in a really fun way. Uh, Maurice the Hormone Monster, also voiced by Nick Kroll. Again, he does a lot of the voices, and I didn't realize how many of the voices he did until I saw this interview, and now I'm really excited. <laughs> 
There are a ton of characters that are introduced throughout the show's three-season run, but I'm just going to quickly run through the rest of the kids that are featured throughout. Uh, Jessie, 12-year-old girl, best friend of Nick and Andrew, has female hormone monster, the Hormone Monstrous. Uh, Connie, voiced by Maya Rudolph. Congratulations on winning the Emmy, because we already said that, but we're looping back around. Jay, 13-year-old boy, wouldn't say friend, but like acquaintance of Nick and Andrew. They hang out sometimes. There's an entire episode where they stay the night at Jay's house, and it quickly devolves. It started out as something so fun, and then Jay comes from a really, like, a very terrifying home like environment. His dad is a... At one point, they say he's a DUI lawyer. Like, that's what they say in the pilot episode. And then later on, that evolves into being, like, a divorce lawyer. And, like, I don't know. I I don't know. First of all, I don't know how this man got a law degree. But, like, maybe he doesn't have a law degree. Maybe he's just saying, ooh, what a good conspiracy theory that would be. How fun that would be to explore. Anyway, uh, Jay's dad is, like, this scumbag lawyer dude. And then his mom is just, like always drunk on wine and then he has two older brothers who are like jerks they're real mean val and kurt we hate them i do not like them anyway uh jay comes from a really sad house but he has some of the best one-liners in the show and i didn't type one out and i can't think of one off the top of my head but just let it be known jay is very fun very sad home life but very fun character Missy, 13-year-old girl, crush of Andrew. She's very smart and very well-spoken. Her parents are both professors, and she isn't allowed to have refined sugars. Wears overalls as her default outfit of choice. Missy also has an evil counterpart that is referred to as Mirror Missy, who makes her feel really bad about her body. Uh, There's one episode where she... Something happens in the locker room, and I don't remember exactly what happens, but she goes home, and she looks at herself in the mirror, and she's just like, ew, I am, like, gross, and like my body isn't right and mirror missy like takes on a personality of her own and she's very mean she's very mean to missy and at one point she says geez louise your chest is concave it's like a spoon and i don't know why but that line every time i see that episode i have to watch that several times i don't know why it's the way she says spoon because she says spoon i don't know it's funny it's very funny bless her voice actor i don't know who it is but like bless I don't do any research before I come into these episodes. I should. I should start doing that, but not for this one. We are. We're coming down to the wire on when we need to record this and edit it to get it up. So, yeet. Uh, Devin, most popular girl in seventh grade. That's, that's it. That's her entire personality. She is the most popular girl in the seventh grade. Lola, Devin's best friend, also voiced by Nick Kroll, and is my favorite character that he does because it's very funny. There is a quote from Lola at the beginning of season three that I want to quote, but I won't because I said this episode was going to be family friendly and that would, uh, no, but it's very funny. I will let it be known. It is, ooh, I will say one of my favorite episodes of the entire series and of season three is episode, I think it's episode nine where they do the musical and Lola becomes the stage manager with the creepy teacher that nobody likes and uh, she she like goes they do auditions and whatever and then she goes to look at the cast list and she's like um why don't i see my name up here and then the teacher comes up behind her and first of all he gets down on one knee and like presents her with a clipboard and he says lola ugfuglio scumpy would you please be my stage manager and then uh 
who is it? I think it's Jesse. She says, um, I'm sorry, did he just say Ugg Fuglio? And then Lola goes, he's the patron saint of sausage and peppers. Uh, I don't feel like I did the voice right, but like, he's the patron saint of sausage and peppers. That's the quote that I'll say of Lola, because the one that I want to say is from episode one, when they're trying to defy the... They're trying to defy the dress code, and so all the girls come in and they're wearing, like, super short skirts and, like, I've, I swear most of them are wearing heels. I don't know. But, like, uh, Lola, the teacher that enforces the dress code, he, like, gives, he's, like, the dean of students, so he gives them all detention, and he says, I think he says, uh, girls, and then Lola says, we're not girls, we're ladies, and then she, like, breaks her ankle, and I'll just, that, that quote right there is the thing that I want to say, but I will not. So y'all can go watch that and figure out what that line is for yourselves, but just let it be known. I want to say it, but I still want this episode to be family friendly, so I shall not. Moving on. Devon, Devon's boyfriend. She makes people call him Devon, so together they are the Devons. It's... Ugh. Uh, there's a conspiracy theory that he might secretly be a 40-year-old man, and I really hope that they continue to push that narrative, because it's a really funny thing that carries over through all four, all three seasons so far. Um, at one point, it's just like, I think at one point, it's just like casually mentioned, and then it like perpetuates through the rest of the, there's an episode in season two where uh, Jessie starts shoplifting from a pharmacy, and she ends up getting caught, because she takes a bunch of crap that she doesn't need, and then, uh, one of the pharmacists like chases her down and catches her in an alley and she's like a gossipy pharmacist so she's like telling jesse all these things and she's like um i think that kid devin in your class might secretly be an old man he came in last week and bought a case of insure and he said it was for him but i don't know and it's just mm. oh there's there's a um there's an episode in season two where they have a sleepover in the school gym to watch the eclipse and he's like taking pills or something and somebody says somebody like makes a joke that he's an old man and he's like haha a lot of kids got arthritis and he like stretches his back out it's very fun i hope at some point it is revealed that devon is an old man but i also kind of hope not because we've had enough like creepy things that are ha that have happened to these children like mr Lizer was creepy enough we don't need uh, also to have a 40 year old man be infiltrating the students <laughs> that's no bueno and dating one of them like ew <laughs> okay we're gonna move on from that uh, Caleb, 12-year-old boy who can't read social cues. He has a rolly backpack and a chart of facial express expressions that he uses to gauge everyone's mood. Uh, he's also in the... He's in the AV club. He's in the jazz club. Uh, he's in something else. I don't know. But he's very... Like, he doesn't say a whole lot. But he is, like, actively in... Like, mingled in with this group of kids. But he is... He's very funny because he'll, like, say something... Somebody will ask a question. And because he can't read social cues, he'll say, like, a very blunt answer. And then somebody will say, Shut up, Caleb! And he just goes, Okay. And then he just, like, walks away. It's very funny. Uh, Lars, 12-year-old boy, doesn't really play a huge role until season three, but is still featured throughout the whole show. I honestly, I didn't even know his name until, like, the middle of season three. So that's how, like, insignificant he is in the beginning. But he's all, he, that doesn't mean he's not funny. Uh, Lars is in a wheelchair and he has a really dry sense of humor. There's uh, an episode very early in season one where they go on a field trip to the Statue of Liberty because they live in New York and they load Lars into the back of the bus and what, it's the bus driver's kid is, like, serving alcohol and, like, cookies and stuff and, uh, 
Lars is asking like why the kids didn't get drinks and he's like why aren't you drinking it's free and then ooh later at Jesse Lars has a drinking problem oh my gosh he's 12 and he's like an alcoholic holy crap he um at the very end of season one it is all building up to Jesse's bat mitzvah and at the very end there's um he says that he's just here for the open bar and he's like drinking a martini in his wheelchair do y'all know is he the one that's secretly an old man oh my gosh what if that's what's going on okay so anyway he um he's sitting at a table he says he's just here for the open bar and then at the end of the episode everybody's kind of like mingling around and leaving and whatever and then you see Lars just like passed out in his wheelchair but his wheelchair is still going and I don't know if he runs into things we don't see it but like we just see him go and just like rolling around in his wheelchair it's very fun Lars Loki has a drinking problem somebody should probably we should probably stage an intervention that's not okay that's no bueno uh, Matthew, 13-year-old boy, is the only openly gay character from most of seasons 1 and 2. Uh, no spoilers here. Matthew is the anchor of the in-school news, and he recruits Jesse to be his best friend. They have a lot of fun together. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I can't really think of any instance where they do, but they do. Take my word for it. I know what I'm talking about. The only adult characters that really matter, in my opinion, are Coach Steve and the ghost of Duke Ellington, who lives in Nick's attic. Uh, not Steve, he lives in a storage unit. Duke Ellington lives in Nick's attic. It's weird at first, but like a lot of other elements of the show, they work with it and it gets a lot better. Coach Steve is one of my favorite characters, also voiced by Nick Kroll. Uh, he, like Jay, has some really good one-liners, and he also gets a lot better as the show goes on. Honestly, in season one, he's just the coach who is kind of weird, but his character really develops, and it develops so quickly that it feels like the writers just took one character trait and ran with it, and that became his entire personality. I don't know how to describe Steve. He's like an adult child. It's very strange. He's so naive and just desperate for any human contact that he befriends Jay, and it's a weird dynamic because they're both really similar and it makes me nervous that without some intervention, Jay could eventually grow up to be like Steve. Not necessarily completely like Steve because I just, as a, you know, as one example, Jay already knows way more about sex than Steve does, but that's not necessarily a good thing. It's just, he's just, he's so weird. And I didn't realize how weird he got until later. Like he gets real weird. <laughs> He, like, because, again, in season one, he just seems like he's just, like, a weird coach who is, like, something is not right. He's just a little bit off, but then as it progresses and it goes through, he changes from just being kind of weird and, like, something's a little bit off with him to just, like, all of a sudden he's, like, a man baby. And it's really weird how his character, like... Uh, it simultaneously develops further and also devolves from what he was in season one. He started out as just like the coach and now he's, he's been, he's been coach Steve. He's been, uh, oh shoot. I don't remember what state they were in, but it was, uh, you know, gas station attendant coach Steve. Uh, he's been mannequin coach Steve. He's been part-time, uh, Walgreens greeter coach Steve. <laughs> He had a lot of jobs in season three. It was very fun because he got fired from the school, but that's fine. The ghost of Duke Ellington, who lives in Nick's attic and is the focus of my favorite episode of the entire series so far, is honestly the only other adult in the show who matters to me. The parents of the kids come in and out, and sure, they're important, but for my purposes, I want to focus on my two favorite adults. Duke Ellington starts out as kind of a background character. Nick and Andrew take turns going up to the attic to ask him for advice through season one, but then he eventually becomes a bigger part of the cast in season two. 
uh, again, there's an entire backstory episode that features Duke Ellington, and it's it's because Nick has to do uh, a paper on I don't know if there's any like criteria, just like a famous person. They have to do some sort of research paper, and he well at first. Jay and Nick are fighting about who is going to interview Duke for their paper, but eventually it ends up being Nick, and he's trying to tell Nick about his life, and Nick is like, ew, I hate learning, I hate it so much, and so uh, Duke tells him the story of when he lost his virginity, but he doesn't actually tell him, he just like tells him the story to like give them a reason to listen to him, <laughs> and he tells the story of when he was 13 he went to Atlantic City for a summer with his friends and got a job and he rode a train for the first time and it was just like all these new things were happening to him it was just really fun um I appreciate I don't think they would have been able to do an episode like that in season one I think it was something that needed to be in a later season so that they could build on the characters that they had already established and then from there uh, you can work backwards and learn more about the other characters. Like, Duke, like I said, was kind of a background character, but then in Season 3, he definitely becomes a bigger role. Definitely has a bigger role later in the series. And that's why they can do a full episode on him. And it's fun, and it makes sense. I don't think it would have been as fun if they had done that in Season 1. Also, I don't. they didn't really have, like, an entryway into doing it in Season 1, but I just, I really appreciate this entire episode. Also, the ghost... Uh, that was in Duke Ellington's attic was the ghost of Harriet Tubman, and she is, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure that she's voiced by Wanda Sykes. I have no confirmation of that, but let me just tell you, that is a comedic decision that is very well appreciated. I really love her as the ghost of, uh, not the ghost of Wanda Sykes, the ghost of Harriet Tubman. Let me, I'm gonna Google that real quick. Hang on. I am back from Googling. Yes, it is Wanda Sykes, so just, again, Bless. That was a great comedic decision. I really appreciate that. I love her as the ghost of Harriet Tubman. All right, we're going to move on. Oh, no, we're not going to move on. Hang on. They also redid, every now and then, they will redo the intro of the show. Uh, there's an episode where Steve sings over the intro song, and that's really fun. He uh, he sings over the full intro song, and then at the end, like, if you hit skip, it, like, immediately jumps to the end, and he says, did you fast forward through the credits? And he, like, backs off the stage. It's very fun. But then the Duke Ellington episode, they uh, redid the song, and it's the same song, but it is, like, in a, like, 1920s uh almost like a ragtime style and I that's really fun I like when they can play around with the intro and do it different it's it's a lot more fun when you don't know when it's going to get changed and it's not like a couch gag from the Simpsons where every episode is different it's fun when you just get a one-off it makes you want to watch the the you know the opening credits uh not that I necessarily do every single time the one for the Duke Ellington episode I definitely do because I appreciate that they redid it in a different style but for the most part, nah. We we gonna skip the we gonna skip the intro. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be totally honest. I have no idea where this episode is gonna go. I literally typed that into a script because I I didn't I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, 
This show is so funny, but I know that the style of humor isn't for everybody. I've tried to convince several people in my life to give this show a try, and most don't make it through episode one. And to be quite frank, I totally understand. Literally five minutes into the show, we see Andrew's penis. Like a full three-second shot of a 13-year-old boy's junk. And that can be very jarring, and I get that. But honestly, the shock of that is kind of what got me hooked. Family Guy could never get away with something like that because they're on a major network. And a lot of what pulled me into season one was the shock factor of it. Just the idea that they were doing stuff that you could never get away with if it wasn't on a streaming service. So, I feel like it's important to give you a couple of uh, scenes and lines from season one, just to kind of give you an idea, again, in case you live under a rock and you've never attempted to watch this show. Uh, there's a scene towards the end of season one where Nick's sister Leah is throwing a party for the drama club and Andrew and Missy sneak upstairs to play Seven Minutes in Heaven. I just remembered, sorry, I just remember where this was going. I just, first of all, smack the mic, laughing, just doing all the things. Uh, Okay, they sneak upstairs into Nick's sister's bedroom uh, to play Seven Minutes in Heaven. They're going at it, and then Missy, like, straddles Andrew, and he pulls away after things calm down a little bit. Um, Missy is apologizing, and she says... Hold on. Give me a second. I have to get ready for the voice. I shouldn't have pushed my mom's pubis up against you like that. And honestly, like, this is the most frequently quoted line between me and all of our, our friends. It's... We... It, not the whole quote, like, none of us are, like, pushing our mons pubi against each other, but, like, we definitely use the phrase mons pubis in casual conversation way more since we've seen this episode. Uh, this episode also features a Seinfeld-esque scene where all the kids are sitting in a diner. Um, it's just fun. I never watched Seinfeld, but they use this theme song to set up this cutaway. That's the only reason that I know what that is. Uh, but it's, it's very fun, because she says... I shouldn't have pressed my mom's pubis up against you. And then Andrew goes, your mom's what? And then they're, they're like a cutaway scene to all of them sitting at a diner and asking what a mom's pubis is. And again, just watch the episode because I'm not going to explain it because we're trying to keep the show family friendly. I already talked about a 13-year-old boy's penis. I feel like if there was any semblance left of this show being family friendly, it was gone right there. But that's all right. We're going to press on. Uh, the final scene of season one features Andrew getting addicted to porn and getting sucked into the pornscape, a weird dimension where your search history comes to life. I can't think of any specific line from this episode, but, like, this is probably the weirdest episode, at least of season one, and possibly of the show overall, but just this episode is very strange. Nick and the hormone monster have to go in after Andrew to rescue him after he gets sucked in and overwhelmed by his addiction. He stand, he stays up super late and he watches all kinds of porn, so what when they get into the pornscape, it's really weird and varied. Again, can't think of a specific line from this episode. Just wanted to mention it because it's really wild from top to bottom. It's just, it's very weird. Um, again, very fun. Like, that is in my wheelhouse of, like, style of humor. But just, in general, that episode is very strange. <laughs> To be totally honest, I thought that the only reason that season one was worth watching was because it was so shocking, the risks that they were willing to take with this show, but it's actually way funnier than what I remembered it being. Uh, first of all, every episode in season one features an original song. Alright, not every episode, but there are several original songs through several episodes that are all uh, subsequent, like they're all together. What? Sequential. That's it. Uh, so it's a bunch of episodes all strewn together and each one of those episodes has an original song in it, so it makes it seem like it's most of the season, but it's not. 
not all the songs are bops, but several of them are very fun. Uh, my personal favorites are Everybody Bleeds, Guy Town, I Love My Body, Sex and a Lady, that's very fun. Uh, the opening song of My Furry Valentine, I don't know if it has a real name, and Disclosure, the movie, the musical. All great songs, all very catchy, and again, I love when they redid the intro for the Duke Ellington episode, because I like the ragtime style that they take that in. Every song in the show is great, but these are just a couple of my favorites. Everybody Bleeds is sung by a tampon because Jessie got her first period on a field trip while wearing white shorts. And it's honestly every young girl's worst nightmare come to life. It's like as soon as you learn what's happening to your body, you're like, oh no. And you know, it's just everybody's fear that you're going to, first of all, to get it at school on a field trip and you're wearing white shorts and like, uh, <laughs> she like runs into the bathroom to like try to make some sort of like makeshift something and there is no toilet paper there's no like toilet seat covers or anything there's like zero papery products in there so andrew sees what's going on and he follows her in there and he says do you want me to go get uh she he says do you want me to go get coach steve or like an adult and she's like no do not get coach steve and like i understand because absolutely not we do not want coach steve to be in the like the options the only two teachers that i saw on that field trip were coach steve or mr lizer like both of them are guys absolutely not we are not having them come in here and like also what are they gonna do like there's uh, there's no toilet paper like nobody can hand you anything okay hold on because i have a qualm with this episode if there was no toilet paper in the women's bathroom, couldn't Andrew have just walked into the men's room and just gotten some paper towel or something? And they could like, you know, if you're just if you're gonna make a makeshift pad anyway, can't you just have Andrew go into the the next bathroom and get that? But like, whatever, it's fine. It sets up a lot of fun conflict for the rest of the episode. Moving on. Guy Town is from season two when Jesse's dad moves into Jay's dad's male only apartment complex. It's really gross. It's a bunch of single guys and Guy Bilzerian doesn't keep up on anything. There's a Billy Bass hanging from a hole in the ceiling where a smoke alarm should be. Uh, Greg's apartment doesn't have any outlets. It's just one long extension cord that goes to the gas station next door. Uh, Guy Town is really, really gross, but the song that Jay sings to introduce it is very fun, very catchy. I Love My Body is from season two, and it is my second favorite song of the show so far. Missy is feeling really gross about her body, and again, this is where Mirror Missy comes in. Uh, so her mom takes her and Jesse to a Korean spa, and they learn that women come in all shapes and sizes, and they're all beautiful, and the song is sung by Connie the Hormone Monstrous, who makes it even better, but I just love, I love the message of this song. It's very fun. Also, Mirror Missy follows them into the spa, and she, like, Missy sees her reflection in like a jacuzzi tub or something and she finally tells her off again would say the whole quote kind of want this episode to remain kind of family friendly so we're not going to quote that but I do enjoy that uh, what else was I going to say about that episode? Oh, when <laughs> when they're going into the spa Missy says she tells her mom that she doesn't want to take her robe off and her mom is like well those are the rules you got to be naked in the korean spa and she says something like i oh no it's um maybe it's jesse i think it's jesse because she's saying i no offense but i think i'm just gonna keep my robe on and then her like and then missy's mom just like rips her robe off and jesse is like whoa okay i was not ready for that and now i am fine and it's i don't know that it's 
it works so well in the scene. It's very funny. Me just saying it probably isn't very funny because that would be like a normal reaction that any person would have. But just I, in the moment, that was really fun. Okay, moving on. She was not ready to see just like a naked lady. Is anyone ever ready to just like be confronted with nude? I don't think anyone is ever ready for that. Sex on a Lady is a super clever song. Uh, this entire episode is focused on Coach Steve. Uh, this is the one where he sings the theme song and he does an original musical number. It's very fun. The focus of this episode is Steve sleeping with Jay's mom and subsequently losing his virginity. The song Sex on a Lady is Steve singing about what he thinks that sex is like. Uh, by this point in the show, it's pretty well established that Steve has the mind of a child, so his idea of sex is pretty simplified. Also, his hormone monster is, like, super old and falling apart and, like, I, he, because poor Rick, I mean, he's been Steve's hormone monster since he was 13 or, you know, whatever, somewhere around there. And now he's, like, f at least in his 40s, probably. So, Rick is, he, he's ready to go, man. He, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> so... Uh, Rick has fallen apart. Um, but anyway, all in all, this song is super fun. It's the kind of song that gets stuck in my head and then I'm humming it at work like all night long and it drives me absolutely insane because it'll just, I'll just be walking around and I'll just be humming it and then I'll be like, oh, I gotta, I need to sing. Sorry, didn't mean to like scream that loud. I, I just gotta think, sing anything else. Like literally any other song would be appropriate right now. Just not this in the middle of work. The opening song from My Furry Valentine is also fabulous. It's basically all the characters singing about how Valentine's Day sucks, especially if you're alone or super cheap in the case of Andrew's dad. I think this song is super indicative of everyone's feelings in middle school. It sucks if you're single, but even if you aren't single, uh, there's all this pressure to do something super romantic just because it's supposed to be a special day. And we see that in this episode with Devin and Devon. Uh, Devon keeps trying to impress Devin, and he can't seem to get her a gift that is the kind of thing that she wants, so eventually he just proposes to her. It's a fun thing that happens in season three. Um, I'll talk about that later. I just mentioned it briefly. But anyway, the song that opens that, uh, the Valentine's Day special is very fun. Episode 9 of Season 3 centers around all the main cast putting on the school musical. The musical is Disclosure, the movie, the musical. A musical based on the 1994 film starring Demi Moore. The whole idea is really cringy, but a lot of that is, like, a lot of that is because of the cringy teacher that they have in charge of the drama club. Um, honestly, I thought they made Mr. Lizer into a creep just for Season 3, but they've really been building up to it since Season 1. Uh, go back and rewatch the show because he's really cringy and creepy. But anyway, this song is by far my favorite song of the entire show. I don't know. Uh, we never did musicals in high school. We always did because uh, we, yeah, we didn't do musicals in high school, but I kind of wish we had. If we had done musicals, I don't know that I would have done them, but I think it would have been way more fun if we had done musicals. But anyway, I just, I like to think about what it would have been like to have done a musical in high school, but we didn't. We did plays, which is fine. I had, they were fun. It was all right. One of the best parts about this show is how much stuff happens in the background. Uh, it's the little stuff that you don't notice the first time that you watch it all the way through, but then if you go back, you can focus on the background and you can see stuff that you didn't see before. Uh, most of the time, it's just fun Easter eggs. It's nothing that's a huge deal. It's just fun to spot them. The best example of this is the sign outside of the school. It changes every time it appears. It's not just like a static shot of the outside of the school. The message board outside is changing every, ep every well, every episode, but also every time you see see the outside of the school 
the letter board or the message board, whatever, says something different. Uh, there's an episode where Coach Steve gets pink eye because he put fecal matter on the basketballs, and the sign outside of the school says, school and stool don't mix. It's very fun. That whole episode is very fun. There's, um, it, it starts out with Coach Steve being, they're doing like a, uh, an interview with him for the school news and because he's like patient zero of the pink eye epidemic that they're having in the school and he's like in the shadows and they've like blurred his voice, but you can very clearly see that it's his silhouette. Like he has a very distinct head and you could see that it's him and, uh, then it cuts to a, uh, Mm -hmm. It cuts to, like, an office-style uh, testimonial, like, when they're in the the uh, conference room and they're just talking to the camera. That's what it flashes to, and he says that he is patient zero of the pink eye epidemic. But anyway, it goes on, and throughout the rest of the... Boy, that was rough, wasn't it? I feel like I, I just started, like, talking more, like, fluidly, and I feel like that last couple of seconds was very rough. So, sorry about that. I keep zoning in and out, so my fault. Uh... But he, over the course of the episode, his eyes get more and more crusted shut. And then at the end, uh, Nick and Andrew are in line to go see a movie. First of all, they have, like, self-checkouts at this movie theater. Is that a thing? Because we definitely don't have that here. But if that's a thing, that's really cool. But he's, like, whatever. He's, like, punching a bunch of stuff. Because he can't see because his eyes are crusted shut. And some uh, guy behind him is like, hey, man, we're going to be late for the movie. And he comes up and he's like, movie? I thought this was the self-checkout line at Walgreens. And then he, like, for the rest of the, the remainder of the episode, there's, like, five minutes left. He's just, like, wandering around, like, trying to find out where Walgreens is. And he, uh, at the end, it, like, flashes to an end card where it would be, like, Netflix, where it would, like, be uh, ten seconds until the next episode starts or whatever, and it's, like, counting down. And he, like, walks through the you know, the, the screen, and he's like, please tell me that there's a Walgreens in this Netflix I don't know it's very fun i love the episode where coach steve gets pink eye i don't know why it's i don't know it's just funny please tell me there's a walgreens around here i need a dvd of van helsing and a six foot long receipt he also like he walks up he walks up to a movie poster for a new movie called atlanta claws but it's very clearly a parody of medea it's very funny I can't lie to you, Black Santa. I've been real nardy. Okay, we're gonna move on. I'm gonna keep saying Coach Steve things. There are a ton of running gags through the show, too. In season one, Andrew's hormone monster tosses out a theory that Jay is his own hormone monster, and so far they haven't taken that either way. They haven't confirmed or denied this, but it's really fun. Another running gag slash recurring question is the identity of the ponytail killer. There's a serial killer running around the city killing people with ponytails, and at one point there was a theory that Coach Steve was the killer. Uh, not like a fan theory, there was just a brief part of an episode where the he was being questioned by the police. There are, there are some fan theories about who the ponytail killer is. It even made it onto a board the like letter board outside of the school in one episode i think it's at the start of season two but i could be wrong about that but anyway that's one of the things that is perpetuated through the rest of the show is it's one thing that is like a side story in season one and then it it keeps going but we still don't know who it is 
Another thing that I love about this show is that it follows kind of a loose story arc. Uh, everything that happens is pushing the plot forward, but it doesn't really follow a hard narrative. In season one, everything is kind of building up to or counting down to, whichever way you want to look at it, Jesse's bat mitzvah. And by the end, all of the storylines have converged into this one central event. Seasons two and three follow even less of a story than season one, but it's still there. Like I said, it's not a hard narrative, but it's telling a story. And there are consistent themes that are happening throughout. Season 1 is probably the cringiest season, but I think that's just because everything was new in Season 1. All the humor was new, it was a fresh concept, and I think the writers were just testing to see what was going to go over with the audience. A lot of the humor of Season 1 seemed like maybe it was just for the sake of Season 1, but it's since become a part of the world, like the ponytail killer, Jay having sex with pillows, uh, Steve kind of being like one of the kids mentally. It all started in Season 1 as just kind of humor, but now it's established that those things are canon. Steve is weirdly immature and desperate for any kind of human contact. Uh, we get snippets of maybe why he ended up like this, but so far there's no real explanation. Uh, Jay 100% has sex with pillows, and that morphs into something much more intense in season three and of course the pony ponytail killer is still at large as far as we know in season three uh season one sets the groundwork for everything else to come as a season one should season two has some of the best music in my opinion but the story is kind of meh I have a hard time remembering anything from really early on in season two. This is the season where they introduce the shame wizard, and I love him. Uh, his character is a cool contradiction to the hormone monsters. He's the voice that makes you feel guilty for almost anything that you do. Again, just a fun counter for the hormone monsters. The Shame Wizard is a big part of Season 2, but otherwise not a whole lot happens. Nick shuffles through a few hormone monsters, the worst of which is Tyler. Hate him. The hormone monster in training. He's like, he's real young, he's real immature, uh, just whatever. You, he doesn't need to be with Nick. Uh -huh. Okay, so he shovels through a bunch of hormone monsters. He eventually ends up with Connie, the hormone monstrous. Boy, boys have had girl hormone monsters all the time, but Nick is Connie's first boy, so it's a weird feeling for both of them. Also, season two is when Jesse's parents officially split up, and her mom tries to get her to go to therapy, and eventually Jesse ends up being really depressed by the end of the season. I actually really like how they use a cat to personify the feeling of depression in the show because it, the cat comes in and just lays on her chest and it makes it impossible for her to get up and do anything. I also love the scene where Jesse finally breaks free from the cat. It's like weirdly emotional for the show because uh, that's not really the tone that the show normally takes, but just to have a scene like that where she's like literally trying to, it's like she's trying to break out of her own head and like she's clawing and fighting to get out of from under the clutches of this like cat it's whatever it's again it's kind of emotional for the like tone of the rest of the show uh season two takes everything that we learned about the world in season one and expands upon it and again how a season two should how subsequent seasons from a great season one should follow they should follow a, you know, okay all right i had a thought and then it just went pfft, it's gone in between seasons two and three, they released a Valentine's Day special, My Furry Valentine. It's really fun. It's got good music. Uh, it was really, it was a fun way to make you want to rewatch the show, but also get you hyped for season three. The end of the Valentine's Day special revealed a side of Andrew that maybe some people saw coming, but I sure didn't. He gets really, really possessive over Missy, and it makes him super jealous. 
Missy makes a comment in the special, and she continues to make this point through the rest of season three, that she doesn't belong to Andrew or Lars, that she doesn't belong to anyone. And I think that that's a super empowering message for young girls to keep in mind. Young people in general, but especially girls. You are your own person, and you don't need anyone to complete you. But also, yeah, you're not anybody's property. Nobody can own you. On that note, we're going to toss in a Steven Universe reference because you know I like to do that whenever I get a chance to. In Steven Universe Future, there's a scene where Steven proposes to Connie because he doesn't know who he is or what he wants, but he thinks that if he is with Connie, he'll know what he's supposed to be doing. He'll just know. So he proposes, she turns him down very gently and politely because honestly, at this point, I think if Connie had been any more forceful in her like rejection of him at this point, that would have been the thing that pushed Steven over the edge, but that's not what we're talking about. Uh, so Connie lets him down very gently and she says, it's not a no, it's a not right now because we're so young. Connie's getting ready to start college. I mean, there's no, we don't need to be getting married right now. That's not what we need. Uh, Steven lays on the beach and cries for a little while. And then finally Garnet comes to get him. And as they walk back to the beach house, Garnet says something that I still think about. She says, your soulmate is your compliment, not your missing piece. Also, now that I've said that, I feel like I've referenced that in a podcast episode before. So come in full circle on that. If I have, hello. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she's telling him that if he feels like there's a hole in his life, that no person is going to fill it. And I really love that quote. I love that message. I'm glad that I guess Big Mouth is an adult cartoon, but I think that's a, mes a message that adults also need to hear, that uh, you are your own person and no one can complete you. One, you don't need anybody to complete you, but also don't make that somebody's job to complete you because that that's a huge burden to put on somebody to be the thing that's going to fill that void in your life. And that's not a burden that any of us should have to bear on behalf of someone else. Okay, moving on. Season three of Big Mouth is the culmination of everything great about the previous two seasons. It's got great comedy, good music, and we get good character development on top of what we've already gotten so far. In season three, we finally see Matthew getting a love interest and we see how he deals with it. It's really kind of fun to see him be so nervous and awkward because so far in the show, we've only seen him be confident and like on. So I love seeing the side of him. We also uh, see at the end of season two that Jay is starting to have doubts that he's 100% straight. And in season three, he explores that a lot more. And that's really cool to see. Uh, we see a full on child wedding between Devon and Devon, which is kind of fun, but also kind of weird. Uh, Lars is the officiant of the ceremony. And I think he gets up and he says, uh, we've gathered here today because no adults have stopped us. And like, that's very true. Like they're who, where are all the parents during this? Like, everybody's just going to this child wedding and everybody's just letting it happen. All right. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Coach Steve gets a style makeover by the Queer Eye cast who are voiced by the, like, as, you know, them. It's the cast voicing their animated selves. Uh, and also there's entire an entire episode about Duke Ellington's life, which I've already said uh, is my favorite episode. And Andrew makes out with his cousin on spring break. And of course, the school musical. There's a lot of stuff that happens in season three. Um, I think the Florida episode, the spring break episode, is a close second favorite, at least of this season overall. The only thing that takes it down for me is uh, the song, Anything Goes in Florida. I don't know why, bro. I just cannot get into that song. I don't know what it is. I just, I don't like it. I don't like that song. But I love the episode. It's very fun. So... 
Okay, I wasn't sure how I was going to talk about all of Big Mouth in an hour or less, so I asked my Facebook friends what they thought about the show, and one thing that someone mentioned was how worried they are for Jay and his well-being if he continues to stay in this house with his family. One of my favorite mini arcs of season three was Jay living with Nick. I thought it was so good for Jay to be in a home where he was loved and taken care of and just with parents who seem to genuinely care about him. Nick's parents are super into his magic. They enforce boundaries and a routine in his life. They get him on medication. And again, they just seem really uh, interested and they seem to care about Jay and his well-being. At the end of the season, Jay takes everything that he learned from Nick's family and he tried to bring it home to his family. Uh, we'll see how that goes in later seasons. I don't know if that's going to stick. The finale of season three is simultaneously funny and ridiculous. A freak storm passes over the city and gives all the kids superpowers. It's really funny to see everybody be superheroes. Um, but then at the end, it's all revealed to be Caleb drawing everybody in his journal. And that's kind of why I wonder how Jay's family will do in later seasons. Because I don't really know if that was part of Caleb's story or if that was supposed to be happening like in real life. I don't know. The very end of the season three finale shows Andrew deciding not to be friends with Nick anymore because Nick always treats Andrew like he's a burden. The episode ends with Nick going to camp alone for the first time since he and Andrew have been friends. So I'm super interested to see what eighth grade will bring to these two main characters because they're not friends anymore. I would love to see where the story goes. Will it last for the whole summer or will they eventually make up? I don't know. It's also revealed that Jesse and her mom are moving to New York City. We don't see them move by the end of the season, but it's implied that Jesse won't be going to the same school for eighth grade. I'm also super excited to see where this goes. I wonder if Jesse's mom is going to find everything that she's looking for in the city, or if they'll both be miserable. Uh, I already feel like Connie is going to be great in season four, because she's going to have to be dealing with Jesse moving far away from her family, and she's also going to have to uh, worry about Nick uh, having to deal with not being friends with Andrew anymore. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of fun opportunity for Connie in the next season. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I know the humor of Big Mouth isn't for everybody. Uh, it's way more adult than some of the other adult animations that are out there right now. But once you really get into it, it's seriously so funny. Maybe one of the reasons that I got so into the show so quickly was because I was watching it with Jaden, who's been my best friend since we were 14. Uh, 14-ish. I really don't remember. I don't. At this point, I don't remember a time when we weren't friends, but I also have a very loose concept of time. So we could have been 14. We could have been 17. I have no idea. Time is a construct. Anyway, it sparked a lot of really fun stories for us. We went to different schools, but watching this show was a really fun way for us to talk about what we were like in junior high. Uh, so maybe get a group of friends together and watch the show and share stories of awkward stuff that you did in middle school. It's so fun to laugh about that stuff as adults because we were all so awkward in junior high. Like literally everyone is awkward. You can't escape it. There is no escape from the awkward of junior high. That's all I've got for this week. If you have thoughts about this show or any of the shows that I cover here, I'd love to hear from you. Head over to Twitter and follow at Kelby underscore cartoons for updates about future episodes and all other forms of cartoon related chaos. I'm also always looking for new shows to watch and would love to hear your recommendations. Might not get to it right away, but we'll get to it eventually. 
October 3rd is going to kick off a month full of spooky content, and I'm so, so excited for all of it. I will be covering Monster House next month, and I just wanted to throw that out there because it's technically a movie and not a show, but it's an underrated, spooky, animated movie, and I thought it was appropriate for October, so I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, so I will see y'all back here in two weeks for a month full of spooky content. I hope you plan to watch the show that I covered this week. Thanks for listening and happy Saturday or whatever day it is, whenever you're listening. Happy whatever and happy binging. Thank you.